Thanks for listening to a podcast from WSUM. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not reflect the views of WSUM, the University of Wisconsin-Madison, or its Board of Regents. Welcome back to the Abolitionist Roundtable with the Madison Journal of Literary Criticism. So we're a group of students and abolitionists that have a study group that produces a magazine every semester. I'm Ray Kirsch, the nonfiction editor currently for MJLC. Can I have a little introduction of your names, pronouns, and position. We have a fun group of editorial members with us today. My name is Quinn. I'm one of the academic editors. I use they, them pronouns, and I'm super excited to talk on the podcast today. Yippee! Hi, my name is Anna Nelson. I am a co-editor-in-chief of the MJLC, and I'm also super excited to be here with our e-board. And I'm Emily. I am a graphic design and layout editor, and I use she, her pronouns. And believe it or not, I'm also super excited to be here. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. So this semester, fall 2023, each episode of the Abolitionist Roundtable um, takes our study group topics and kind of expands it more into a larger discussion. So this past week, we talked about care as a form of resistance. And, you know, I won't lie came a little late to the study group and but I did do the reading so I was wondering if someone could explain to everyone listening right now what the care manifesto is and how we kind of had that influence our discussion so our reading for the week was the care manifesto introduction and this is sort of an introduction to a topic called care ethics where it's saying that we should center our feminist theory around the idea of care as something that should be practiced, as something that should be like produced and encouraged. And it like that needs to be a central focal point in all of our different approaches to really just like life in general. Um, But that can be applied to a bunch of specific areas of work. Um, But in the manifesto, it was talking about a couple of different things that were happening in the past couple of years. I think it came out in 2021, maybe, but definitely post-COVID-19 pandemic, or like the beginning of it, at least. Um, And care since then and over the past couple decades has very much been individualized through like this neoliberal lens, um, especially through the idea of self-care, which I think we'll get into a lot. Um, But this is like the narrative that you are responsible for taking care of yourself. And it's like, you have to have a full cup before you can like let anybody else, or like you have to take care of yourself before you can take care of others, you know? Um, Which has its problems and I think we'll dive into that. Um, And then the second thing is that it's very much institutionalized. So there's this thing called care washing where a bunch of different, like have you guys seen examples of this? Do you have good examples of care washing off the top of your head? Of, like, companies that will use care as a branding mechanism or, like, a marketing scheme to be, like, I mean, did we, we care talk about, about you. Did we talk about Walgreens and study group? That was my first thought, but, yeah, yeah do you want to take it away? Um, different, like, drugstores. Um, I think there are even, like, Bubbler, for example. I just drank a Bubbler earlier, and mm-hmm. it brands itself as, like, an antioxidant caffeinated beverage, like, because yeah. it's water. Mm-hmm. But like health and well-being. they're not... They're selling caffeinated flavored water. They don't necessarily care about your own health. Um, Or I was just talking the other day, um, Panera 
has their charged lemonades and I believe like the second person there's been a second person who has like died because of the caffeine intake. Yeah. Oh my god. Um because Panera kind of brands it as this like clean healthier and yeah an energizing beverage and they don't disclose like how much caffeine is truly in it and when they do talk about the caffeine they make you think it's like clean caffeine drawn from tea sometimes is Mm -hmm. like um supposed to be a slightly milder caffeine um and so they don't like disclose the actual like content of caffeine in the drink and so as like students on campus like come get a study drink like have one of these lemonade chargers, but they don't disclose enough. So I kind of think of care washing in a similar way as we might think of like pride washing or like environmental green washing, whereas like companies are taking advantage of the fact that care is being more of a central focus in a lot of our day-to-day practices and like institutions and companies and they're utilizing that for benefits that are actually antithetical to care itself. So these are just, like, two ideas that the CARE Manifesto talks about in addition to other ones that just, like, set up the foundation for what our environment looks like in terms of how we're practicing care and how care is coming up in conversations. And from that environment, one big question that comes out of care ethics is, is care a universal concept or a universal practice? Like, there's this idea of cultural relativism where care might look differently in a lot of different places, but is the concept of care itself universal across all areas of the globe? So that's just some starting thoughts from the Care Manifesto to get us thinking about care. Yeah, I guess one thing that I would add on, if we're talking about like care as being universal, I mean, I would be in the camp of people that would say, yes, it's universal because it's not, it's not just found within people, it's found and like nature and all different parts of life. Um, and so universal in the most like basic sense of the word universe like, yeah. and being like part of every action that we take. And one of my thoughts about um, self-care also is that um, I believe that while things can be categorized as Maybe self-care, if you break it down, it really is, all care is community care. And saying that it's self-care, really, um, it plays into a lot of the stuff you were talking about before, about kind of like care washing. Mm -hmm. And um, kind of, at least mostly in the West, um, kind of blocking the community aspect of it, um, which plays into the like the individualizing nature of like capitalism and that's just incorporated into the the care um community because when you think about like capitalist structures it there is no room into like sustaining life itself and like actual care work because Mm -hmm. if you think about the like lowest paying jobs in the at least in the u.s are ones that involve care like the people who grow our food who make our clothes like um, pink collar workers and like salons mm-hmm. and um, a lot of the things that we categorize as self-care like maybe if we I said it's in, in the study group if we like stop to take a breath that's partly like like the plants that allow us to breathe like allowing us to do that or maybe if we decide to get a coffee or something um, there's people who 
grew those um, beans and everything to make that coffee. And um, and I also said this in the study group, if you were there, um, those things, like, obviously still breathe and get your coffees and everything. Mm-hmm. Like, those things are great. Um, but we sh- I feel like we should be reframing of how we think of those things. Like, instead of saying, oh, this is self-care, it's community care. Um, but if, like, getting a coffee is community care, then it's very a one-sided relationship. You're getting the the coffee and everything. And in a, in a perfect world, I, I don't normally like to say perfect world because I don't think that's ever good. Yeah, in an ideal yeah. world. Um, we will know everything that we get from other people, everything, like where our bed was made and who made our coffee. And then we're, yeah. we're able to reciprocate that care there's not um, as much distance. Yeah, because I yeah. feel like uh, a core part of care is reciprocating that. And I feel like this came up in the study group that um, this care have to be transactional or reciprocal. And yeah, I feel like we it's... we should hit that right away. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like transactional and reciprocal are different things mm-hmm. because Agreed. transactional yeah. just feels more like kind of like money. Mm-hmm. I was saying that before. And I, I just think that... Well, yes, if you are receiving care, you should also give it back. But it, it doesn't have to be, like, one for one. It just is something also that you do. Um, Can I try to, like, summarize what you're saying to make sure I'm understanding it correctly? Yeah. So you're saying that self-care is innately community care, actually, because, yeah. you know, people and, you know, the environment, it also is helping us with care, which means that when we do our quote-unquote self-care, we also should be maybe putting something back into the environment to create care for other people. Because, right. sorry, can I add on? Yeah. Like, I feel like self-care shouldn't be the end of those means. Like, I feel like self-care is building your capacity to also care for others. Yeah. I think the way, because I came in right during, I think, the t- the heat of that conversation um, of a study group about self-care I think the way that I think about self-care for myself is, like, I see self-care as, like, Rhea, one of our other editor-in-chiefs, being, like, you need to take a break from this. You should set these boundaries. Rhea being, like, like the collective care that helps yeah. me take care of myself, almost. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And so I thought it was really interesting of, like, the idea of, like, you need to take care of yourself before you take care of other people. Because it's also, like, you can but it's kind of do both as a right group. it's not right. like a timeline step right. one step two step three like it I just all totally happens. yeah like when um one of our study group members said that exact quote like in order i think he said it in like in matters of like loving people like in order to love other people you have to love yourself first which i feel like is like true in some cases but it's not like you have to like you can do both at the same time because you right. can't like, you can't it, be a perfect a person everyone is flawed which means not everyone is going to be like mentally okay all the time and it's not like if you're like mentally like not 100% there like you're going to just like break up with your partner and like be like oh I need to be single right now because I'm not doing okay in this moment like it's a collective thing grow together by Ben Platt does anyone know that song yes Yes. I I love that song it's so good it's gonna make me cry thinking about it (laughs) even in the context of study group just like doing my own work too it's taken me time to realize like me taking a few days to not touch 
like graphics and mm-hmm. layout and things like that. Um, like after Cree and I had completed the magazine layout to to take a weekend to like not touch making social media graphics or anything like that because anything that I would have made would have not been very good Um, so yeah understanding (laughs) to like it's okay to take a step back because then you can go fully in um with energy again and like work for other people on the team but also, may I add, and then I have a question for the group as well, but sometimes we have to be careful with that narrative, too, of, like, making sure that we are our ourselves for other people or especially for, like, work when we're coming into this, like, like Quinn said, like, capitalism wants us to be very productive. And if we all of a sudden are like, oh, I need to take care of myself so I can be more productive in the capitalist structure, like, that's also problematic mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. there's a lot of like nuances on how I we think kind of going off of that the way I love my both my jobs I have two jobs right now but the way my one job phrases it is they're like come in however you are you don't have to come in as your best self like if you're having a horrible day they're fine with it like they're like mm-hmm. whatever um, but if you're having like a really really horrible day they're like just don't come in if you don't want to like it's a very like yeah it's like a I don't know it's like well, it's that collective care yeah mm-hmm. yeah level of like trust in other people to set your boundaries and like work together with others and communicate your needs and things like that mm-hmm. um okay can I ask a question yeah yes. okay so Quinn when you're talking about all of your examples of community care and like especially like self-care actually being community care but we label it as self-care and like things like pink collar workers a lot of those examples reminded me of this like question during the pandemic of like who qualifies as an essential worker or Mm -hmm. like an essential care worker is often what we called them and I'm wondering if you had any thoughts on like how we should label that and like what that narrative looked like and what it looks like now I mean I I'll go I just have a little point I don't have an exact answer to that all I know is like I was a part of the initial group that got offered the um oh gosh why am I the vaccine because of like my chronic illness and so it was really interesting to see like me get it before like some of our like nurses um Mm -hmm. like I got offered it right at the start as soon as it was made because of my condition but I was like not going outside so I was like who really needs it you know yeah Yeah. well I was just gonna ask um where did any of you guys have a job where you were considered essential workers I did not I just had my condition I've worked in like um service jobs which I wouldn't say is exactly like food service and I was a landscaper so it's not exactly and I was also like serving like as a landscaper like predominantly like wealthy white families but yeah so Eh, kind of. <laughs> gotcha. Because I, I had two over the course of the pandemic. Um, I worked in a factory that produced food packaging and labeling. And then I also worked at a grocery store. So in both yeah. of those cases, I was not a healthcare essential worker. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was situations where you were producing, like, product for food or, mm-hmm. like, in the process of selling food. And it was definitely an interesting situation regarding, like, why we were considered and how we were considered essential workers. So I did get um, 
the vaccine early on because I was as a cashier at a grocery store in a very people yeah. position, like people facing position. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think not that like nurses and doctors were doing extraordinarily important work. Yeah. Um, but I think the other people who are also considered essential workers like helping to make sure people got like their groceries and things like that weren't considered in the same way. Um, And I'm not upset about that by any means, but I just thought it was really interesting, especially like I was 18 at the time, um, but there were like other adults where that's, that's what they do both in both of those jobs. That's their career at that point. And um, Mm -hmm. they just felt very ignored by society. And I think even before the pandemic, it had been a situation where it's, like, considered unskilled labor. But then being thrust into this position of, like, being called essential, they didn't feel essential or they didn't feel like they were being compensated as someone who was essential to society. You could argue they didn't feel cared for. Yeah. And, like, also, as someone that has a lot of family members in the healthcare industry as nurses, um, so I saw them all get it early, but, like, that also made me think of like the racial disparities of who who was considered essential and you know who got all of their cares or their cares care met during the pandemic more because you know we saw a disproportionate amount of people of color being killed by the pandemic and people of Mm -hmm. color you know not accessing as much health care as they deserve during the pandemic so that makes me consider that as well One quote um, that I really like, a lot of my thoughts toward community care have been built around this fantastic writer named Aisha Khan. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Um, but she wrote this one quote that really like sums up my thoughts towards like self-care and everything around that and reciprocity is that, quote, the consumer is shielded from the brutality of the production line, but also shielded from the joy that comes with reciprocity. I like reciprocity, the idea of reciprocity and care so much and why it doesn't have to be um, this idea where you just do it and it's this transaction, um, or it's not a transaction, is because um, there's that joy that comes from the reciprocity. And if we're in this like capitalist world that shields us from that, then it's just not the the ideal world that we could be living in where we actually know where we're we're getting all of our things from and I feel like if we're talking about essential workers they're the ones providing they're the ones caring for everyone and so obviously they're the most like all these people that I've just talked about like the people who make our food and um, build our homes pink collar workers they're the most essential people because they're the one providing for everyone we're the ones that are or at least the systems that are forcing us to not also provide for them is just crazy. And also, like, teachers are a big care workers, too. Um, yeah. On, on the note of reciprocity, I have an example, and I want to ask you guys' thoughts on it. There are obviously so many different ways that care relationships can manifest. Um, and reciprocity, unlike transactions where I feel like both ends have to be equal— reciprocity just means like there's something going back and forth and there's not a degree of like quantity that's necessary or even quality but it's like we also have relationships and this goes for both the relationality or the 
reciprocity point that I'm going for and the essential care work point that we're talking about. But, like, people that are working in nursing homes and taking care of elderly people, obviously the level of reciprocity for that looks a lot different than it does in a friendship. And I'm I'm very comfortable, like, saying that, like, some relationships of care are super unbalanced, and that's totally okay. But, like, how do you figure out what's best for each relationship in terms of reciprocity mm. and power dynamics? And, you know, there's just so much involved in that. Yeah, I feel like... Um with, like, people that are close to you, it's easier to see that unbalanced nature of that because you're with them. And I feel like there's different types of care, like, you know, like your friends and your family members, but then also the people that provide for you. But also, like like I said before, in the ideal world, the people in your community would be preferably the people that you're engaging with and you have this, you get your food from and everything but since that isn't like that um there has to be or i guess right now there's sort of this different type of care with like family and friends and then others who work in service industries or um other essential jobs so i feel like it's kind of easier for it to get or maybe notice the unbalance in the family and friends but it's kind of like blocked as i said before with those other care workers Do you think that has anything to do with, like, the idea of scarcity within a capitalist society? Could you expand on that? Like On kind of how we look at how we can give or offer care almost. Um, like, like opportunities available. Oh, yeah, okay. if we feel okay. as though we want to expend the most amount of care with those that we are close with, and so we try to balance those relationships. But when it comes to like those who are maybe strangers to us, despite what they do for us. Yeah, I kind of lost where I was going, but. There's a whole, there's so much, there's like an entire section of care ethics like dedicated to this idea of like distance. And there's also, I'm just gonna name drop a couple of like book recs in case people are curious, but um, I think it's Peter, Peter Singer. I know the last name is Singer, is a philosopher that talks about like our moral responsibilities to other people and how that shouldn't change depending on distance. Um, so like I have just as much of a responsibility to take care of my really close community as I do other people on the other side of the world. So there's like this kind of idea in philosophy, but then also there are other people writing about, so there's a book called Strangers Drowning, which is a more practical stance on the idea that like you cannot be responsible for strangers who are drowning on the other side of the world because that's simply like, I don't know how to explain it that well, but it's like you can't care about all 8 billion people on the planet and so Mm -hmm. there's like there's obviously so much within this debate and that question but I feel like that also gets at the point of like scarcity and like it's just like so much more difficult to take care of people that aren't close to you I think that like sorry to interrupt that's okay but it's kind of like plays into that whole thing of like choose your protest and what you can actually like because obviously like within capitalism like we are so limited in the things that we can do outside of just like surviving within the system and at least like getting enough to live within that system but beyond that and like fighting for things that you believe in um like you don't have a lot of time and so you have to kind of choose which things that you're passionate about and um what you can actually make an an impact in I guess and I feel like for a lot of people that's found in more uh in their communities more often than across the the globe 
But yeah. Yeah. I think hitting back on Anna's question about like care within friendships and how do you like balance that? I think the best thing is like it's not an equal like reprieve or it's not like an equal back and forth, but it's almost like just an understanding of like, yeah, you might have like like I might be more stressed sometimes and need a little more emotional support. But then there might be a day where you need more emotional support, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. So it's just like being there for someone, not like unconditionally, because obviously like if you need your own like if you need mental health time or like if you can't take on an extra load, just like setting those boundaries of like, am I able to you know, mentally take on something or like be there for someone? Mm-hmm. Can I be there for someone without maybe hearing about the problems? Like sometimes just being physically there for someone can do a lot in terms of care. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it also makes me think a little bit about what you were saying, Emily, like one of my best friends is studying abroad in New Zealand next semester. I'm like, I'm not going to stop caring about her or being there for her just because she's like halfway around the world. Mm-hmm. You know, that distance like doesn't, affect me but at the same time then but at the same time it's like even yesterday there was a protest about something that's going on like halfway around the world and that's, I really yes and I really wanted to participate in it but my partner was like you've been so exhausted and stressed out that I don't think you would it would benefit that is such a good example anyone for you yeah. to go to this protest right now because you're really stressed out and you have a lot going on and so it's like things like that like that just make me think like, I'm not saying that there was, like, a right or wrong answer in this, but I was just, like, going through a moral debate yesterday at a coffee shop. Like, Yeah. I think it really all comes back to, like, how do we define care, too? Because it can look so differently, and obviously our society, like, values certain types of care over others and doesn't even recognize certain types of care. But, like, I, when I was studying abroad, like, I still very much cared for my friends that were back home but I didn't talk to them as much. I was not there for them as much. Mm-hmm. Like I kind of tabled that and I didn't table my care, but like the way that I thought about them and was like interacting with them just looked a lot differently. And that actually, that's not as good of an example. I guess that goes to the distance point more. Sorry, this is turning into a bit of a ramble. Okay. Um, but I also think of like my relationship with my mom's a lot different than my re- relationship with my friends. And I remember like, when I turned 19 or something, I had a conversation with my mom about like, oh, I am all of a sudden growing up and realizing all the things that you're going through and I really wanna be able to take care of you and I wanna like move into this next stage of relationship. And she was like, I love you and that's all and great, but like, I'm supposed to be your mom. Like my role is to take care of you and everyone needs someone who is just taking care of them that you don't necessarily give back to in the same way. But at the same time, this is where it's getting into a ramble, I think I do take care of my mom inadvertently. Like I don't take care of her the same way she takes care of me, but every time that I release a new magazine or I release a podcast or like I do something really exciting in my life, she is so excited. And that I think is another form of care. So mm-hmm. I don't really know where that was going, but I think we just need to come back to like, what does care look like and how can it manifest? Yeah, I feel like um, since care can sometimes like we talked about be so like um blocked off or like shielded like kind of invisible like I was talking about with self-care um it has to be very intentional within the systems that we live in because like like I said we don't have much time or we're not given that much time to do the things we want to do and so 
it's very important and like care is important but it has to be intentional now because like ma- like scheduling time with friends like it's this inherent thing that we do but it still has to be this thing that we actively incorporate into our lives because the systems that we live in aren't inherently um tied to caregiving so they don't allow for a lot of spontaneity in that too yeah Yeah. there's a lot of like there are friends who i have seen maybe once this semester just due to the fact that as we grow up and try to figure out how we're going to fit within Mm -hmm. um, society and the workforce and our futures we just have too much going on and opposite schedules and it's just not something that we're able to do and we don't care about each other any less we still love each other and want to spend time with each other we just find less and less opportunities to do that yeah that really hits on your scarcity point well yeah okay can I ask one final question to maybe like tie it up yeah how do we think that care embodies resistance or how can it, I guess, to tie it back to like being a form of resistance? I feel like since like capitalism is inherently trying to back away from care and trying to individualize us, like care is one of the like easiest, I guess maybe not easiest, but instinct ways that we can resist in our daily lives. Because I feel like resistance, when someone just thinks about that, word in general a lot of things that pop up are like protests or maybe lobbying or something like that but a lot of resistance can be done through community care and it's really powerful because it's going at the very things that like capitalism is trying to draw us away from i think it's also a really important way to show people support in that like i see you I understand you need something from me, whatever that may be, and I'm here to care for you so that you can keep going um, is another way I think I see care. I think I've seen care a lot recently with all of the protests that have been going on, and not just like internationally, but there also have been a lot of protests here in Madison um, regarding like trans rights, um, especially for trans youth. And I think care can transform into an act of protest, which is an res- which is resistance. And I think that like care can influence us to show up for other people and to advocate for other people that might not be in the position to advocate for themselves, which I think is a super super powerful thing, and also a privilege to be able to do that in itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's it's been one of the w- most continuous things that I've seen all, like, the last three months of my life yeah. has been just showing up for each other as a form of care. And I think that both speaks on, like, the power and the limitation of care because it's it's so broad and it's so, like, ubiquitous, I guess, to use <laughs> that word. Um, because it's so broad... I feel like it always cares like an opportunity for resistance and like when you're talking about care as resisting like inherently resisting capitalism I feel like we always need care and something else like care opens up a space for you to resist capitalism but it isn't as like closely linked as it needs to be 
And it, I feel like it all starts with care. And then, but we always need something else. I feel like I, I kind of agree in that care can lead to other, like being incorporated into other resistance efforts. But I also feel like care can like stand in of itself. I think a good example of care standing itself is one thing I was thinking about when you were like defining care and like giving back to the communities was like, I was thinking about in like environmental care, like recycling i think mm-hmm. you can see as a form of care yeah um and that's something that really isn't paired with like any big form of resistance but still could be care on its own i don't know if that's what you're trying to hit out yeah there. i feel like care also is like it's not only just a resistance i feel like its role is so broad like you said in that it is a part of other resistance efforts but it also goes beyond resistance and i think into mm-hmm. like the dream because like caregiving with people in our communities is one of the ways that we can already be free because that's practicing um, like caring with each other in our communities is living the world that we ideally we would like to live in and where we care for others. And so that's just a way of cares, a way of resisting and also just living in this ideal world and dreaming of applying what we're doing in our communities to other facets of life. So I feel like it could be both. I think that kind of reminds me, and this is kind of an off tangent, but in our new, in our latest issue, Resistance, um, which just came out, um, one of the nonfiction pieces that I approved of was of this person named Alex, of his immigration from Ecuador to the U.S. And his biggest thing was, his collective care that the people around him and him had Mm -hmm. like it was all about picking each other up and they were like when this one dude didn't want to come with because he was exhausted and tired and like couldn't walk anymore Mm -hmm. they would like hold him up you know that kind of thing yeah like that just really reminded me of that a lot yeah Mm -hmm. maybe just I'm so torn as like a final note that I always come back to when I think about care and thinking about like just simply caring about your neighbors, caring about the collective and the people around you. Of course, I'm all for it. It's amazing, and we need it. I'm just so worried that it's not going to, like, start the revolution or, like, the super radical, systemic, institutional change that we need. Mm -hmm. Or, sorry, not start. I don't think that it alone will Mm -hmm. lead to that. I think it's a massive motivator. Yes, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Well, obviously, like, the whole point of this like semester I feel like has been like there's so many different ways that you can resist and that's fantastic because the systems are so complex like it's poking it in all the different spots in the the right ways and so that's the cool thing about care is that care can be infused into all these different resistance efforts and it also can stand by itself and be its own method in that in your practicing actually living in this ideal world um well put. I'm not going to snap because it's probably going to be bad for the mics. It's not going to pick up well. <laughs> but, like, snap, snap. I guess this is kind of rambly, too. But one thing that I've been I've been thinking about that point so often because my – about, like, what is actually needed. Like, should we have this nonviolent or, like, violent, like, um, what is needed to, like, get things going, even though things yeah. have been going? Um, because my entire first-year interest group was on um, violent – the history of nonviolence, and obviously we talk about violence too, um, 
I have with one of our other study group members, Nate. And what I've taken from that um, is that, like, participate in, you can participate in both, but we're not going to, like, condemn either of them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, participate in the one that, that you feel that you can put your the best effort into but also like like recognize that other methods aren't inherently wrong and it's actually good that there's different methods that you may not be as comfortable doing or familiar with because yeah snap snap (laughs) i feel like that's a really good note to like leave us on too yeah, that's like perfect. I don't. I just don't think of any. I can't think of anything. I need wraps to add up to that. everything. Anne and I were gonna say wraps up everything. Yeah. Um. On that ending note, that's all the time we have for today. We'll have a few more episodes coming out for you soon, and we will see you all next time. Thanks for tuning in. Bye. Bye.